Welcome back to The 99, where we are focused on brewing a better competitive commander. I'm your host, Patrick Marlet, back again with another Hidden Gems video. And in honor of 2XM Double Masters, which has already come and gone, it seems like everyone's forgotten that and moved to Zendikar, dating this video. We are doing artifacts. You read the thumbnail. That's why you're here. Guys, I, I hate to break it to you, but <laughs> altogether, there aren't too many Hidden Gems within the artifact type realm. Uh, most artifacts that are viable get used, uh, and that is because artifacts can slot into any list. And yes, there are artifacts that have color typings to them, but we will be ignoring those for this video as we do colored hidden gems as well, and we'll likely remark on any hidden gem artifacts with colors in their cost in those videos. These are all artifacts you can place into any list, so that is there for you if you are interested in adding to your arsenal of artifacts. But before we jump into this video, I want you guys to know that if you like the content here and you want to help support it, all the production costs that go into making this for you, the best way to do so is by Patreon. And there's a link in the description to support the Patreon, support the channel. Uh, thank you for making that choice. If you do back us, guys, also note that as a benefit, I like to play pickup games either weekly or bi-weekly, or even sometimes twice a week with the Patreon crew. So if you want to game with me and check out new lists as they come out, a ton new list will be coming out this very year. Uh, again, dating this again. It is September uh 2020 <laughs> there you go now you know it's the it is precisely the fourth when i'm getting to this video so uh you know it's a little bit later i will be able to play those decks with you guys and that's a fun way to get a first look at something i am testing <laughs> bear in mind a lot of the decks i like to break out are 80 90 percent before they're 100 and then i showcase them on the show um beyond that you'll also get a special shout out leading up to 99 and then we'll probably do some sort of roll of all your names and i'll shout out a handful of people um, because I've gotten used to it. I've gotten used to it. Although those end rolls, uh, they do get long. Or rather, me speaking your names get long. But that that's all because I appreciate you guys so much. Now, if you're wondering why I'm looking off to the side of the screen, it's not you. It's nothing to do with you. Um, I have a list of all the artifacts I'll be discussing with you. Uh, and in order, uh, there are draw effects, ramp effects, stacks effects, protection. Uh, don't ever leave home without protection, kids. And knowledge, ooh, knowledge. What is that magical fifth category, you ask? Well, I'm about to tell you at the end of this video. That's right, that's why I hook you in, that's why I get you to stay. You're like, what the, what is knowledge? I'm gonna leave a list of all the cards we'll be discussing in a pinned comment. So yes, that does ruin it for you. But I encourage you to just wait and find out with the rest of everyone else. Um, now I wanna start with draw because that's something that we all need desperately in every list, unless your commander draws. And the card I want to talk about is Tome of Legends. This is definitely underrated in the draw category, um, and honestly deserves to see more use, particularly if your commander can get around pesky blockers. So Tome of Legends is too generic to cast artifact rare from Throne of Eldraine. Tome of Legends enters the battlefield with a page counter on it. Good, okay. Cool, cool. I think there's two things that enter with page counters. Maze, Mind, Tome, and this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Whenever your commander enters the battlefield or attacks, put a page counter on Tome of Legends. So if your commander costs more than this, you're likely playing this on curve to play your commander out. Now you have two counters. Okay, what do these do? Pay one, tap it, remove a page counter from Tome of Legends, draw a card. Okay, that's the part we were interested in. You get to draw a card, a singular card, 
And if you happen to play this out um, before your commander, you have two counters on this, you have that value for other turns should your commander get removed, so on and so forth. Now what's nice about this is if your commander flies, uh, you're likely to keep adding up counters on this card, all those precious page counters. So if you want draw and you need it, especially if you use a lot of top deck tutors in your list, your Sylvan tutors, your worldly tutors, your vampiric tutors, your imperial seals, so on and so forth, this will get you that card at the mere cost of one generic mana. So three CMC total to draw a card doesn't seem that great, but it is repeatable value. And unlike a lot of artifacts that let you draw, there's no hiccups like it having to be sacrificed or it coming into play tapped. Um, it's just always there for you. And if you play commander, right? Like you guys watching the 99, this is going to be fantastic for you. Do bear in mind though, that if you get that attack trigger, the, the commander has to be attacking while you uh, get that triggered to resolve. So uh, instance, instances like Yuriko, like if you play Yuriko, this isn't going to work if you ninjutsu her out, right? So you've already declared attackers at that point. Yuriko is not going to get the benefit of flashing in and being like, well, look, she's attacking. No, that declare attacker step already happened. You've already, the trigger's been seen and nothing happened. Um, you won't get it there. But any other creature, uh, you're going to get that benefit. And obviously, if you have a creature that you bounce, like, I don't know why you would add this in Naramea, but in case you're wondering, yes, uh, you're commander entering the battlefield. So you ghostly flicker Naramea. That's a popular commander for the channel. You bounce her in a million times, you get a million page counters, right? Just hope no one nature's claim or natural states that Tome of Legends because you're gonna want to use at least a handful of those counters before the end of the game. Uh, but the idea here being this is very good draw and it's underappreciated, underused. Uh, obviously, if you have a commander that draws for you, you likely don't need this. Most of the times, like my Tiny Bones list, You'll notice I, I'm pretty sure Dark Confidant isn't in there now because the commander is doing most of that grunt work for you. However, if your commander lacks draw and you find you need it, this is an excellent way to get there, particularly if your commander is 3CMC or more because you're likely to play this beforehand, get two counters, and you know you'll be progressively drawing from there on out. Um, I love it. Just remember, you need to have the commander being declared as an attacker at the time. Um, that way you get the trigger. Uh, so even better with things like, in case you're wondering, Neheb. Neheb would enjoy this. I don't. Do I run this in Neheb? Uh, because of all the multiple combats. There you go. Little another little thing for you. If you're following along with Zendikar, there is another Minotaur that came out that does extra combats. I forget the name. Uh, the Discord was blowing up with it. Follow Discord. Follow the Twitter. By the way, I'm a little bit better about Twitter now. Mostly mostly there to answer questions, less so to post things. But I'm always there for questions. Moving on, ramp. Okay, so this is definitely something that's underplayed in my opinion because I see a lot of lists with three CMC commanders, right? You know, three converted mana cost commanders that don't use this. And if you don't run a list that contains green, you should probably run this. And that card is Jeweled Amulet. So it's zero mana, but you get to play it for free. How fun is that? Everyone loves zero cost cards. It's almost like a mox. Not really. Uh, one printing an Ice Age artifact, obviously. You can pay one, tap it, and I'll read the eroded text. You're gonna see the old text here. But put a charge counter on Jeweled Amulet. Note the type of mana spent 
to pay this activation cost. You got your pen and notepad nearby. Put it on your notes on your phone, okay? There's plenty of ways you can notate this. Activate this ability only if there are no charge counters on Jeweled Amulet. Would be cool if that clause wasn't there, but this is an old card. Whatever. Uh, you can tap it, remove a charge counter from Jeweled Amulet, add one mana, guess what? Of Jeweled Amulet's last noted type. So, obviously there's some synergy between those two effects. This is great as a turn one play. Uh, as it turns out, if I were to play a mountain and then play Jeweled Amulet, uh, and I, I can use this at instant speed, mind you, that first effect. This isn't a sorcery type action. You can put a charge counter on this whenever you'd like. So I can hold up my, what am I, what am I holding for one red? Pyroblast. You can hold up your Pyroblast or red elemental blast, right? Pesky Blue Mage is at the table. Um, and once they've all passed, because you know what, they're they're not tapping their islands anyways, you can then tap your mountain to fuel the jeweled amulet. And then on the start of your turn, you can whoop, untap and you're up mana. So if you have a turn three playable, right? If your commander is something really vital to your game plan and it's three CMC, add jeweled amulet. This is a great way to get it out, especially if you're budget conscious. This is something that it's, I think it's sub $3 that you can squeeze into your list very easily. There's no reason you shouldn't be playing Jeweled Amulet. Um, it's it's like in a lot of other lists, uh, I, I'm, Anya Falconrath is coming to mind. You know, Rakdos. Rakdos has trouble ramping early game beyond rituals, right? You know, you're not always gonna have your Pyretic, your Desperate Ritual, your Dark Ritual, your Cabal Ritual. Not that you wanna use it for three black, but uh, this is a great way to get you there um, in those lists. So if your commander is vital to your game plan, it's three CMC, Jeweled Amulet. Um, also, it's just another artifact that you can fool with in Rakdos in particular. Like Goblin Welder, you can switch this out for something more valuable in your graveyard. Uh, there's plenty of action there. I like Jeweled Amulet a lot. I use it in two list, and I can recommend it in more. Definitely use it. There's one more thing on my mind regarding that. I in case you're wondering, I don't take notes. I have mental notes, guys. If it hits me, I'm just going to shout it out. But we're moving on to stacks. And stacks is an interesting thing. So I did write an article for TCG Player Infinite on one of my favorite stacks pieces, Trini Sphere. And that card's been uh, reprinted a handful of times now, but not enough to reduce its price below that $20 mark. But that's like the king of stacks, in my opinion. And stacks, truthfully, in my mind, a great stacks piece is something that affects the game whether or not you're able to cast a spell. Let's just say someone silenced the board. If this stacks piece is on the board and is still stunting your opponents, you know it's a great stacks piece. Trinity Sphere, making everything cost three, could put everyone's dead, everyone's done. This, in my opinion, can be just as damning. This card is Damping Sphere. One printing from Dominaria at Uncommon, so it's pretty cheap. For being an uncommon, I think it's like a $2 range. Just had to pick up a handful of these. Damage Sphere costs two generic for an artifact. If a land is tapped for two or more mana, it produces one generic instead of any other type um, and amount. So obviously we, we can stop here and just talk about this first, because this is not the important part of this card, but it is integral. And that's because we have things like filter lands. We have things like Lake of the Dead, Guy's Cradle, Nykthos, Shrine to Nyx, uh, any City of Traitors, you've got your Ancient Tombs, you've got a bunch of cards that tap for excess mana, Cabal Coffers, 
Woo, that, that strategy is dead. I hope you weren't relying on Cabal Coffers for anything, because when you do go to tap Cabal Coffers, it will only generate one generic mana. So this is just on the side of what I believe to be the real game winning effect. Again, at two generic. Each player, or eat rather, each spell a player casts costs one more to cast for each other spell that player has cast this turn. So if I've cast four spells, it costs three more to cast. If I cast three spells, two more to cast, you get it. Um, it costs more. There is a tax that's cumulative for every single spell you've cast this turn. Now, this is not asymmetrical. This will affect you. However, if you're not storming off, if your game plan doesn't rely on you storming off, why aren't you running this? Why aren't you running this? If you run a mid-range combo deck, right? Obviously, if you're in a list that's like Savala, right? You all know Savala. Um, and you're trying to win on turn three, you're not laying down stacks pieces. This is not a concern of yours. However, if you are a mid-range combo list with the current meta of CDH, and even if you just play casually, if your game goes mid-range, this is a great way to hamper all of those value effects your opponents might have on the battlefield, all of those draws your opponents might have on the battlefield, the necropotence your player, your opponent has. Like, he's just filling his hand up to seven every single turn. He's not going to be able to do much with those cards if he gets taxed every single time he tries to play. But more importantly, because Storm is such a viable strategy in CDH right now, the CDH channel in case you guys didn't know. Um, I want to shut that shit down. And this thing does it all the time. And it's funny because, you know, the common argument here is that, you know, well, I could just bounce it. I could just remove it. Well, you're, that, that's like one of 99 cards. And who says you get there, right? In a lot of instances, if you don't get there, this is going to help slow down the game. And if you're not a Storm player and you rely on one or two casts to win a game, you'll be fine you'll totally be fine and get away with running this. Um, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite stacks pieces, and it's one of the ones I feel is underplayed uh, in the game right now. It certainly deserves way more attention, and I'm surprised it was printed at an uncommon. Uncommon and at two mana. That's what really baffles me about this card. It's just, whew, it's too good. It's too good. I like it. Um, <laughs> the next card I want to talk about, though, and... It's funny because this also has one printing. I don't think it's reserved. I'm pretty sure it's not reserved. From Weatherlight? I don't know. It's brown bordered though. Mana web. Mana web for three generic. Now this is a double-edged sword and I'll get into why in just a second. However, artifact, obviously. Whenever any land target opponent controls is tapped for mana. This has been errata to an opponent controls. So obviously there's more than one opponent. In a commander game, tap all lands that player controls that could produce any type of mana that land could produce. So, mind you, this for three for three CMC, and that's usually where you find the asymmetrical effects, the things that only hurt your opponents. Um, this is causing them. So, if they tap their mana confluence, guess what? Mana confluence can tap for any flavor of mana, which means all of their other lands that could tap for that same flavor of mana. Tap it. That Trop Island, tap it. Everything you had, go ahead and tap it. Obviously, in response to this, they can just tap out and float mana. But at the end of their turn, and as phases end, that mana goes away. Mana burn. Feel it. Um, yeah, they're, they're not going to be happy. Now, here's the double-edged part. 
if you are falling behind, this might not be a great card to play as a stacks element. This is something that you want to play while you're ahead of the game and you're in a comfortable enough place to say, I'm okay with you being tapped out, with you being tapped out, and with you being tapped out during this game. Because sometimes, even though CDH players don't say it, uh, there is definitely in Commander uh, a rule that you want to keep players in to at least deal with other opponents while uh, you may or may not be able to do so, right? That's the, uh, what is what is the what is the phrase? Social contract, social contract. Geez, that I, it was so tough for me to fathom because there is really no social contract in CDH. You, you, wanna, you wanna run with the best and you play the best, so long as it's not banned, right? Although the RC says, you know, the banned list doesn't really matter. Um, people rely on that when they're building their list. So anyways, the social contract in CDH is, if I don't, you'll usually try to win it over everyone else simultaneously, right? Like you're not trying to knock players out. Uh, there are some lists that kill people one at a time, but that's not necessarily what you're trying to do all the time. So you usually wanna leave other players up to be available to respond to certain threats that you may or may not be able to. And Mono Web does shut them off from being able to do so. There are a lot of free counters in the world of magic right now. So it's not like they're always gonna be unable to help you. However, this will shut down a lot of the removal you commonly see because there's not that much removal that's free. Like Deadly Rollick might be one thing you see, but outside of that and maybe Slaughter Pact on occasion, you're not gonna see much free removal thrown out there. And uh, it's gonna suck when they have to pay for that Slaughter Pact on their upkeep and they just tap out to do so. Now, what's really good about this is anything like a Blood Moon, like an Urborg, um, Tomb of Yawgmoth, the land that makes anything that will make a land uh, a certain type outside of its own typing, this is going to be a huge benefit because when they go to tap that land, all of their other lands are swamps and all of their other lands are mountains. Uh, it's great. It's, it's really great. Again, you definitely want to be ahead of the game when you play this uh, for this to be a working part of your strategy and it's not always going to be great if you're behind. Okay? Okay, guys? Noted? All right, so moving on, and there's some time spiral remastered, brown bordered. This has never, this has never been a thing. Uh, anyways, Chalice of the Void. I'm gonna put the time spiral remastered version on the screen. It's the Mark Zug art, but it's brown bordered, and it looks better. Can we agree? Can we start browning all the borders again? I'd like to sign a petition to brown all the artifacts again. Why did we change from that? Chalice of the Void is XX, and now we're in our protection protection um, uh, category for the video. Artifact, obviously. Chalice of the Void enters the battlefield with X charge counters on it. So if you pay one and one, that's two mana total. It is uh, one charge counter. Whenever a player casts a spell with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Chalice of the Void, counter that spell. This is tricky and it's expensive. So I can understand if you don't want to pick it up, but if you're in a, if you refuse to play blue like myself, um, you're not gonna get much counter action, right? Because for some reason blue has been the only color to get decent counters ever. Uh, however, you do have things like withering boon and mana tithe, but they're, they're far and few between. So if you want your counter, you want to up your counter game. This might be the only way you can do so outside of blue, mind you. The most powerful interaction in the game of magic you can fight me on that 
um, but this gives you it. So here's what I'm gonna say. In between zero and two, uh, this is very potent. A lot of the wins right now revolve around ad nauseum or appearing to the abyss, right? So people will play ad nauseum, it's instant speed, but they'll play it on their main phase and they'll go ahead and just lay down all their fast mana and they will attempt to win a game right there by casting a three CMC combo of Thassa's Oracle 2 and a Demonic Consultation if they have to, right? Maybe they found another way to go through their deck. Watch our recent Brew Wars and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a, actually, those are all three Thassa decks and one lowly Gruul deck. Maybe I should have been running Chalice of the Void. What this is gonna allow you to do is counter all of that fast mana, all the zero fast mana from that Storm player, so they can't do that. They just can't do that. Mox Diamond? No, countered. Chrome Mox? Countered. Sorry. You're really trying here. Monocrypt, do you not see the Chalice of the Void? What's really nice about this is you can plan around it, obviously. If most of your interaction game is within, with, within one CMC, it's all like one CMC cards, then putting this at two is not a bad thing. Okay, you're stopping your mana drain, your counterspell, all the things that are going to stunt you on a given turn, this is going to offer protection for you. And obviously, you can use this to a benefit as well. Maybe you want that thing in the graveyard anyways for any sort of reanimation strategy. Having it countered isn't the worst thing in the world, but at least you're putting it there and you're still stopping your opponents from harming you. Um, two is tricky though if you are reanimating with Dance of the Dead, Animate Dead. Rely on Necromancy, why don't you? I like Chalice of the Void a lot. Uh, it's certainly not played enough. I think that's because I'm probably the only person in my group that doesn't play blue. Like every single time I sit down, it's, it's, it's three out of four decks have blue in them. And like 40 to 50% of that deck is blue. So you're gonna have counters, but if you're, if you're like me and you want to up your counter game uh, and you're not in blue, that is the best way to do so. Um, and again, it's just another, and putting it at two is really smart too, because they can't drop a side Extortionist, which also happens to be like everyone's favorite card right now. So stop it, stop it with that. My next card on the list, so far as protection is concerned, and this is something I recently added to a list that has been benefiting me a whole lot. And I think it's worth the three CMC. It is a Veilstone Amulet. So for three generic, uh, at rare artifacts, uh, one printing in future sight. Sometimes it's ostentatious to go unseen. Whenever you play a spell, creatures you control can't be the targets of spells or abilities your opponents control this turn. Okay, you have a creature-centric plan. You have a creature strategy, and this is going to help you get there. Obviously, something like Toxic Deluge is still going to kill your creatures. But if they're on Fire Covenant, then all you need to do is cast Worldly Tutor. And you can't target my things anymore. This is essentially giving uh, your creatures hexproof, right? Yeah. So um, Shroud would mean you couldn't target them, but I can still target my creatures after all is said and done. They're just getting hexproof. It doesn't say it, but that's, that's what this is, right? Uh, mass hexproof. So... This card is phenomenal at protecting your creature-based plans or protecting your creature-based strategies. This is a good way to keep your creatures um, protected from any means of removal that your opponents might have. And it's only causing you to cast a spell that you probably would have off-turn anyways, right? You want to use that Swords to Plowshare off-turn? Just have answers outside 
of your own turn, any instant speed spell, this is going to allow you to protect your creatures and you can layer it too, right? I said worldly tutor, but someone goes ahead and they're like, well, no, I'm gonna deadly rollick your commander as well. And you're gonna be like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna swords to plowshare your commander, trigger on the stack, I'm protected, that's gone, thank you. And then there are two spells with whatever they're trying to do to eliminate your board. If you have a lot of creatures, this is a good way to go. Mind you, no one's really gunning for your dorks, or unless it's like a Deathrite Shaman. But no one's really gunning for your creatures outside of any of those value creatures, but this is gonna help you in those instances. And it's really good in red, um, particularly if you have Goblin Welder or Goblin Engineer, you can sort of sneak this in from your grave should it happen to be there. Was it, you know, if it was removed or you entombed it, whatever the case, Engineer puts it there, right? Uh, at that three CMC mark, this is that magic number for switching in and then playing um, whatever form of instant speed spell you wanted to give all your things protection. Veilstone Amulet, definitely underrated. It's definitely not for every list though, right? Don't be concerned with Veilstone Amulet if people aren't trying to remove your creatures, but creature removal is pretty heavy in Commander and it certainly should be. Uh, what's cool is that this also protects them from abilities, right? So any activated or triggered abilities like a Gilded Drake, you can just be like, no, stop stop targeting me gilded drake um there's a lot more there uh, than i'm obviously mentioning but you can see the use of this card hopefully again not for every list um this will be the cheapest beta card or alpha card you've ever purchased of value that may or may not be true it's probably a lie you can buy some like lands and you can say those are of value, but this card goes a way, way back into Magic's history. The Glasses of Urza. This is the knowledge. This is the knowledge I was speaking of. For one generic, Glasses of Urza, you may look at your opponent's hand. This has obviously been eroded to uh, tap to activate. Look at target player's hand. Wouldn't it be great to just like for one mana, just look at everyone's hand? Um, what's really nice about this? Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power in magic, and you do have to make a lot of assumptions turn to turn. Um, sometimes it's pretty easy to guess what someone's tutoring when they, you know, cast their spell seeker, right? You, you can tell that they're probably jumping for some form of removal if they needed it, some form of bounce, if they want to get rid of your stacks piece, whatever the case. Uh, this gives you 100% uh, knowledge of what they're grabbing. There's no guessing game anymore. You just, you just know. You just know. And what's beautiful about this is that if you use it off turn, right? So you cast Glasses of Urza. Um, I can wait, 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 and then see where their turns go. If someone played out like five cards on their turn, I probably don't need to look at the three cards in your hand. Probably don't. I mean, unless I think you have the win, but we're all probably gonna keep our eyes on that player anyways. However, I can look at the opposing person in front of me, you guys, and the player to my right and know exactly what they have for me. And I can do so by tapping this off turn and then tapping it on turn to see at least two of my three opponent's hands. And that's a lot of knowledge. I can know the interactions they're gonna have for that player and I can know what they might have for me. I can know if their swan song is gonna just destroy my underworld breach or just destroy my smothering tithe. I'm not gonna wanna play that four CMC spell if I know they've got a swan song and this is giving me that knowledge. This is for I would say mostly a list that cares about historics, right? So if you play a list like Joyra or Teshar, a list that cares about casting artifacts, 
historics are more than that, but the majority of the historics we play are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. Sagas are historic. Um, at any rate, this is giving you additional knowledge for those games to make the right plays, right? And this also lets you know when you can hold your own removal or interaction and say pass. Just depending on who's making the big plays, the seating order of your pod, I can know that I can pass comfortably and just give to this guy. If they're spiteful, they'll be like, well, you knew, you knew I had the countermeasure. I'm just gonna pass. Because you know what? I'm just gonna throw the game. And that's totally fine. I'll never play with that guy again. Thing is, <laughs> you can you can lie and say that you don't have what you need to stop a thing. Uh, or you can be honest to yourself and be like, hey, I play a card that gives me knowledge. I can make better choices than everyone else, and I'm gonna pass. And if you want this person to win, you can let them do that. But I'm gonna rely on you to stop this thing. Um, this card, it, it's almost like playing a telepathy or, um, gosh, there's a green card that does the same effect, where you reveal everyone's hands. The only issue with this is when people play with their hands revealed, um, there is a certain uh, pressure placed on those players to make actions for the table, uh, despite it being in their best interest, right? So it can be tricky and games can dissolve to, uh, not fist fighting, but yelling at each other with, with the knowledge, with the knowledge, uh, but use it sparingly and use it wisely and use it to your benefit because obviously you're going to want to make the right plays. Um, and of course you can always bluff. No one's got glasses of Urza looking at you, right? Unless you, uh, reveal your hand to the board or you i guess you just look at it never mind you can't do shit you can't you can't be nice and show everyone what you have but glasses of urza definitely an unsung hero there's a couple printings of this guy you can get him for like 20 cents or you can get a beta version for uh, like 12 to 10 to 12 dollars there you go if you ever want to own a beta card this is the one in my opinion to pick up because it is of value uh, and for a lot of lists so Definitely, definitely highly considerable in my opinion. Now guys, that's that's it. I could not remember what Jeweled Amulet also had in store for players. Dang. Outside of the fact it's just excellent ramp and you should be playing it. But guys, if you enjoyed this video, if you feel like you acquired some knowledge that you didn't have before, well, you're welcome. And you can help support this channel directly by joining the Patreon. There's also Anchor, but Patreon's where it's at. Guys, if you want to help support the production here, the best way to do so is via Patreon. There are no tiers. If you want to speak with me directly on Patreon, you can. If you want to speak with me directly on Discord, even folks that aren't on the Patreon, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to just spare my time between shoots. But uh, I try to answer everyone's questions within a timely fashion. So if you ever wanted knowledge from the guy who has Urza's glasses, uh, feel free to join the Patreon. That's the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, and also pick up games and the shout out, which we're getting to right now. Um, let's see here. But guys, thank you for staying to the end of this video. Are there artifacts that I missed? Did I miss anything that was super vital that you use in every game? Because I would love to know. Uh, I'm obsessed with artifacts. That's all I play with. Um, at least when I'm playing Tishar. It's probably one of my favorite decks. Uh, Urza's Glasses is something that I've teased in and out. I don't always, I, for the folks that follow my list, I don't always modify the list online as I do in paper or when I'm playing them. Uh, there's things I test. Urza's Glasses. I can't be shouting at everyone. But guys, Patreon crew, 
you know who you are, but I'm going to say your names anyways. Uh, this is a new member, and I'm not going to... I'm going to say your last name, if that's all right. And then you can teach me how to say your first name. <sighs> Kaiser. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining Patreon. Um, would you guys want tears? <laughs> Let's start there. Should I charge everyone $20 to have a direct line of contact with me? I feel like I've seen tears, and they're, they're very successful with other channels, but I don't... I don't care i get i get paid to do this elsewise jeremiah george and david thank you for subscribing and joining the patreon uh cade steve sarah and jackson thank you guys for being patreon members seriously tears is that a good idea <laughs> i i'm not gonna ruin it i'm not gonna ruin it for everyone i think one dollar is fine and the, for the few of you that go above and beyond, thank you so much. I really appreciate it when you guys do it. like 20 bucks a month. It's that really, really does help. You guys don't know. Um, Casa, Dylan, Joseph, Wes, and Brayden. Thank you guys so much for your patronage. W Western RPG winner. Someone told me that that's what they thought that is. But you can tell me yourself. W Western RPG winner. Sage, Guillermo, M-Virus, Cryo, and Phil. Thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, Thomas the Train Engine. I mean Tornado Joe. Nick, Alexander, Spaceman, Student Eternal, and Matthew, thank you so much for your patronage. Rod, Nomad, Gunblade Knight, Austin Taylor, P. Dizzle, Jeffrey, and Ave, thank you so much for your patronage. And this is where I sneak in some secret information for you guys watching the channel. I'm recording stuff for Channel Fireball right now, but uh, heads up, I'm going to be doing a little segment called Tech Talk over there. For folks that have been asking me, how do you combat certain strategies? How do these play lines work? Well, guess what? I'm going to do all of that over there. They're like a whole professional team of players. I'm going to try to add my professional opinion and advice over there by way of Tech Talk. I'm also going to be talking a little bit about Zendikar over there too. So uh, keep sharing your thoughts with me over on Discord regarding Zendikar. Ave, John, Just Me, Rory, Brian, Trevor, Landers, and Corwin. Thank you guys so much for your patronage. Tim, Adrian, Carlos, Kevin, Sir Fluffykins. Matthew, Kevin, Submox1, Adam, and Dante, you guys are the best, but you knew that. Joshua, Matthew, Rennell, Trent, and Gregory, thank you so much for your patronage. How long have I, God, how long have I been talking? I need, I need to take a sip of the, the water. I promise this water. Gregory, Harry, Tave, Leonardo, Christopher, Carl, Craig, and Mason, thank you guys so much for your patronage. Paul, Jake, Gullius, Shaofan, Bruno, Kev, and Ali. I love you guys. Josh, Clyde, Shaded, Frank, Jared, Brendan, Shord, Nathan, Javier, Oliver, The Holy Knight, Sam, Running Red, Jordan, Luke, Leon, and Mace. That's good breath support. That was me naming, I think, a record number of people on the Patreon. Thank you guys so much for your patronage. Uh, you guys are the best. I'm so excited to upgrade a lot of my equipment here. I know the audio has not been great for the Brew Wars, at least for some people, and it could be better. And I agree. I definitely agree. I also want to do two episodes a week, as crazy as that is, but I've got a bunch of ideas I want to get on paper and share. Um, and your help on the Patreon will get me there. Uh, honestly, this has been such a great experience for me, and I hope this is a great experience for you. Thank you guys for being the best fans of the channel. Again, my name is Patrick Marlette, and happy brewing, babies.